working our way through the book of 1 Timothy, verse by verse. Last week, Pastor Brian, who was up here with me, taught on 1 Timothy 6, 1 and 2, which is primarily was about slavery. And then here, um, Paul, who's the author of 1 Timothy, changes his thought. Um, in, in the thought we're, we're in today is verses 3 through 10. So what I'm going to do right now is I'm going to read the whole passage, and then we're going to break it down. Does that sound good? It'll be up here for you. I know that's a lot, but um, we're going to start in verse 3, and we're going to read the whole passage, and then we're going to break it down, okay? Sound good? All right, it says this. If anyone teaches otherwise and does not agree to the sound instruction of our Lord Jesus Christ and to godly teaching, they are conceited and understand nothing. They have an unhealthy interest in controversies and quarrels about words that result in envy, strife, malicious talk, evil suspicions, and constant friction between people of corrupt mind who have been robbed of the truth and who think that godliness is a means to financial gain. But godliness with contentment is great gain, for we brought nothing into this world and we could take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. Those who want to get rich fall into um, temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people, eager for money, have wandered from the faith and have pierced themselves with many griefs. Let's pray. For understanding. God, we ask your Holy Spirit to give us understanding as we read your word. God, speak to each one of us. We know there's a thousand truths in this, God, and speak to us about what you want each one of us individually to hear and understand through this passage this morning. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. So verses three through five, it talks about, is, is this warning of beware of divisive false teachers. Beware of divisive false teachers. Now, in this short letter to 1 Timothy, this is the fourth time Paul has talked about beware of false teachers. You know, he says, beware of false teachers, beware of false teachers, over and over again. And it seems like in Ephesus, this was a big problem. So, the church back then, it seemed to let a lot of Christians in the church use their gifts. A lot of people were able to use their gifts, and it seemed like they did an awesome job at equipping the church to use their gifts, you know, and that's a good thing, but it's, it doesn't come without its own set of problems. And I'll say this, like somewhere in church history, maybe it was 500 years ago, maybe it was 50 years ago, but if anybody thinks back to like maybe like what you perceive to be like a Baptist church like 50 years ago, the pastor of the church literally did everything, right? Like he taught the sermon Sunday morning. He taught, they had Sunday night, you know, they had Sunday night teaching. They had Wednesday night teaching. And the pastor literally did all those things. And even in Sunday school, the pastor taught the main class. And if there was one man or woman in the church, you know, they would possibly let them lead a Sunday school class. But everybody else was just spectators, right? And the one person had to do everything. And it really shouldn't be like that. And it said part of the pastor's job is to equip the saints for the work of ministry. 
So our job as pastors isn't to do all the ministry. It's to equip the church to do the ministry and to use their gifts as well. And that's what's really cool. Um, have you guys all heard so far that we're doing these Lent devotionals as J-Road? Raise your hand if you guys heard of the Lent devotionals. Uh, we have these online. If you go to our website, jroadchurch.org, they're at the top. You could catch up and read them. And there's also a couple hard copies in the back as well. If you need a hard copy, let us know, but they're on our website. But the J-Road Lent devotionals are every day, every weekday of Lent, Monday through Friday, we have, somebody in J-Road have written a devotional. So we have, like, I don't know exactly how many, 20-some different people that have wrote devotionals. And they talk about maybe how they're using their gifts to share the scripture and how it applies to our life. And that's really all the church being equipped to be teachers. And you, we are seeing beautiful things come out of these Lent devotionals. So if you haven't done it yet, you should check it out, but it's a huge win. Um, and we're going to have, part one is out right now. We'll eventually have part two, which will last all the way up until Easter. Um, so people are using their gifts. The other thing is, we have 13 missional communities here at J-Road. So if you don't know what a missional community is, a missional community um, is a small group of believers, anywhere from five people to 15 people, that meet in homes, or some meet at church. And this is a small faith family. And so with that, we have 13, or if they're couples, 26 leaders of these missional communities. And so our goal is that People are using gifts, and we're training up leaders. Our hope is that we will go from 13 to 20 to 50 missional communities. It's going to take raising up leaders. It's going to take people in the church stepping up, leading them, going out to new places, reaching new people. And with that, you might have some people who might fall into false teaching. Now, with a plurality of leaders and in elders, we must over, with the elders must oversee the church to make sure the word is taught well. If we have 50 missional communities, and if we're writing Lent devotionals, we check them to make sure that the scriptures are handled correctly. It's not to say we don't make mistakes, because Lord knows Brian and I probably have made a mistake in our preaching. <laughs> it doesn't necessarily make us a false teacher, but where they said false teachers is if somebody teaches an error— whether it be a Lent devotional or in a missional community, if somebody's teaching an error or something that's, that's contradictory to Scripture and they get told about it and they refuse to change or refuse to repent, that's kind of what was happening. It's not just you made a mistake and handled the Scriptures poorly, and, but it's you did that and you refuse to repent and you think that's how it should be. And it says these people, it says they don't agree with the sound doctrine of our Lord Jesus. And so if you go back, can you go back to that first verse there, um, the, big, the big passage? It says um, in verse 3, they do not agree with the sound instruction of our Lord Jesus. And because of that, they are conceited and understand nothing in verse 4. And so they are, it says they are conceited and without understanding. Another translation is they are arrogant and ignorant arrogant. The message translation says that they are ignorant windbags, people who do not agree with the sound doctrine of our Lord Jesus. And those, and if you guys know from your own experience, those are some of the hardest people to argue with. People that are, they not only know it all, but they're wrong. <laughs> they're wrong about what they think they know it all, and they're arrogant and ignorant, can be the hardest person's people to argue with. They don't even know what they don't know, and they know it really well. 
<laughs> right? <laughs> they don't know what they're talking about, but they think they do, and they, they know it really well. And it says they are arrogant and ignorant. And it says, the next, the next verse says, they have an unhealthy interest in quarreling with others, meaning that these people love to fight. Have you ever interacted with somebody who just loves to argue? They love to argue. They love to fight. And he's saying, like, don't get baited into that. Anybody ever here ever been into, like, a Facebook comment section argument? <laughs> it never ends well. And, like, nothing good ever comes from arguing in the comment section. And usually you are butting heads with people that just love to argue. They're going to find something to argue with. They're not really pursuing peace. They love the fight. And he said, you know, beware of people that love to fight and love to argue. And he said, the other part is malicious talk. Malicious talk meaning they talk negatively about people. These false teachers are talking negatively about people. And so, um, and so they're putting people down behind their back. They're talking negatively. And as we said in churches, we are one big family. We don't spread rumors about one another that, that may or may not be true. We, uh, we get each other's back. I don't talk bad about you. You don't talk bad about me. We love each other in that way, right? It's not loving to spread negative news about people. And he's saying, don't do that. Don't do that. Um, so in the last point he says is this. Um, and he said in verse 5, they have constant friction. Oh, no. Go, could you go back a second to that verse? I'm sorry. I, that is verse 5, which I was looking at. But I want to go back. Uh, he said they have been robbed of the truth and who think that godliness is a means to financial gain. I guess you were right. You could have left that last verse up there. My bad. <laughs> you can go back to that verse. Uh, this is the last part. It says, who think that godliness is a means to financial gain. So they, and so this could mean a couple different things. And, it, and this could definitely apply to us. It could apply to other people. But a few things when you think about this, what do you guys think of? If you're like me, the first time I read this, I think of like televangelist. Does anybody here ever see like a televangelist? who's like rocking around the globe in his private jet and he's rocking like a $5,000 suit and he's living in a $10 million mansion and he's asking you to send his donations. <laughs> like, I think of tele televangelists, like you're using godliness for financial gain. It's like the ministry and gospel of Jesus has become a business and business is good, right? Like they want more and more money. And I think about that, and that's definitely true. There are false teachers out there that are, they treat the gospel of Jesus Christ as a business, and they just do it for financial gain. That's one. The second is this, and I want us to think about this, is you and I, normal, everyday Christians, and we, we started following God in hopes that God would bless us. That we think, maybe, maybe not in the front of our minds, but in the back of our minds, if I'm a good Christian and I do what I'm supposed to do, God is going to bless me financially. God's going to take care of me. And so, in some ways, we think, if I do good, God will bless me. If I it, do the right things, I will, you know, he will, you know, fill my pocketbooks. And... You know, that's who thinks godliness is a means to financial gain. If, I, if I'm good, God will give me money. God will take care of me. Maybe you were taught that when you follow God, your life is going to be so much better. You know, 
hey, all you have to do is say this prayer, accept Jesus into your heart, and everything's going to get better. And have you, you ever done that? Or maybe that was you, or maybe that's somebody you know. You said the prayer, you gave your heart to Jesus, and your life didn't get better. Maybe you feel like I got sold a bill of goods that everything was going to get better. My marriage was going to get better. My kids were going to start being nicer. My bank account was going to fill up. And then you accepted Jesus and realized that you have the same problems. And you're like, geez, this Christianity doesn't work. I thought this. And so that is a way of saying that we believe that godliness is a means to financial gain. You think, where's my blessing, God? I've been following you. I gave up this. I gave up this. Where's my blessing? And, and here's the thing. Many of us confuse blessing for material gain. Many of us confuse blessing for materialism. That anytime we think of blessing, we think of money. Because people say, hey, look what God blessed me with today. <laughs> you know, like, of all of God's blessing, if it was a pie chart, money would be a tiny, tiny, tiny sliver. Think about all the blessings God gives us. And money is like a tiny, tiny sliver to meet our everyday needs. And Paul even said it. If I have food in my cupboard and clothes on my back, I'll be content in that and I'll be blessed. The money paid for food in the cupboard and clothes on my back. And many times we think that blessing is the materialism. And blessings, blessings having a healthy family. Blessings having peace when the world around us is full of not, not peace. Blessings having a church family who has your back. Blessings, uh, the sunshine in the middle of February. Blessings are all around us. And if all we think of blessings is money in our pocket, we're missing it. And, we, we, and we're not grateful to God for all the many blessings that we do have. And so um, we shouldn't confuse materialism for blessings. When we give our lives to Jesus Christ, um, we didn't do it for earthly blessings or materialistic gains. We did it because he laid down his life for us and we are laying down our lives for him. Becoming a Christian is laying down your lives to Jesus and saying, here's my life, Lord. I lay it at your altar. Do with it as you wish. We're not doing it for an, a means to an end. If, you're, if you come to Jesus in hopes for a means to an end, you're doing it wrong. We lay down our lives for him because he laid down his life for us. And that's the important part about the gospel. Jesus never promises riches. Um, he never promises that he'll take away all our problems. And if Jesus taught riches, he didn't take his own teaching because Jesus was poor. Right? People wanted to follow Jesus and said, Jesus said, before you follow me, get this, I don't have a house. And uh, foxes have holes, birds have nests, the Son of Man does not have anywhere to lay his head. So Jesus was poor. And so if we want to identify with Jesus, why are we asking for material blessings? And so, okay, that's hard for us to stomach in our culture. <laughs> in our worldly culture, Everything is like, get rich quick, have the American dream, save up a million dollars for retirement, do all these things. And Jesus was poor. Um, 
the thing that Jesus does promise us, and this, I'll say good, I'll say bad, then I'll say good. Jesus promised us that there will be suffering. Jesus promises suffering in our lives. He promises persecution. He promises trials and tribulations. And he promises spiritual warfare for us who are going to be Christians. Anybody want to sign up to be a Christian? <laughs> you got suffering, you got persecution, you got spiritual warfare, you got all of these things because the enemy's going to come after you once you accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And that's why Jesus said, do you know what Jesus said when people wanted to follow him? What did he say? Does anybody remember the phrase? Count the cost. He's saying, before you build a house, builders sit down and count the cost. Before you follow me, you really need to sit back and decide if you're really going to follow me, count the cost. Because it's not always going to be easy. But what Jesus does promise us, um, uh, he says that he will never leave us or forsake us. So when life is hard and we're in the trial and we're in the fire, he promises to never leave us or forsake us. He promises to be right by our side. He promises us to forgive us of all of our sin. Can everybody say all? all? Like the worst of the worst sins to the lightest of sins, like he forgives it all and that we have a chance to go to heaven and stand before the Father's throne completely sinless. Amen? Amen. Like that's the biggest blessing is that I can be free. When God, I get to heaven, God's not going to look at the sin that I've done. He's only going to see righteousness. And so I have a chance to be righteous like God. And that's a blessing. Um, he promises us, us to adopt us into his family that we'll be children of God. So we're no longer orphans. We're no longer uh, just aimlessly wanting this world. We'll be considered children of God. And with it, we'll receive an inheritance, which is eternal life. Which he says, that is the blessing that we have. So it's not going to be easy. This world's not going to be without hardships, but he promised us to be with us through it. Um, and so he doesn't promise us that we'll be rich. In fact, this passage warns us about wanting to be rich. He, this passage warns Christians saying, if you are really just loving and wanting to be rich, there's a warning about that. And the second point is this. Materialism pulls us away from God. Materialism pulls us away from God. Um, what is materialism? I'll just share. I've been talking about it. I'll share a definition. Materialism is a tendency to consider material possessions and physical comfort as more important than spiritual values. Physical comfort, material blessings as more important than spiritual values. So in, we'll skip down to verses 9 and 10. It says this. Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and have pierced themselves with many griefs. So, you know, this moment is good to just pause, like, for self-reflection. Um, and, and the question is, is like, as if you look at your life recently, maybe in the last week, maybe in the last month, maybe last year, do you love money? Are you pursuing after money um, in an unhealthy way? 
Are you not happy with what God has provided for you? Are you not happy with the roof over your head? Are you not happy with the clothes that you have? Are you not happy with the food that you have? And have you found yourself discontent with God's blessing? Have you gone into debt to pay for things that you don't need and can't afford? You wanted something so bad, you went into debt for things that you don't really need and you can't afford. Do you gamble in hopes to win it big? Do you find yourself gambling or playing the lottery in just this hopes that I'll win it big and that I'll have all of these material things? Do you dream about ways that you can get rich quick? See, we see later on in this very chapter, Paul says it's not a sin to be rich. Okay? Now, now look, we'll talk about this in a couple of weeks, but look at 1 Timothy Chapter 6, same chapter, in verse 17 and 18. He says this, Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth. He's not saying it's bad to be rich. He's saying, do not be arrogant, nor put your hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides for us with everything for our enjoyment. Be generous, and willing to share. And so, you might be reading this and think, man, I hope the rich people in here are listening to this. Man, I hope these uh, richies here are, uh, they're generous, willing to share. Here's the thing. If you are here and you have a roof over your head, if you have a means of transportation, and if you have any type of job and, and you have food on the table, you are considered rich. 25% of the world, it's like a quarter of the whole world's population is teetering on the verge of like death because of poverty. And I, I think, I can't think of all the statistics, but I think if you make around $20,000 a year, you're considered in the top 10% of the richest people on the planet. Now, when you look at Instagram or Facebook and you see, like, the rich people down the street or the wealthy people in America, you could be like, I'm not rich, they're rich. But here's the fact that's very true. We are all extremely rich. If you have money in your pocket to do fun things, you're rich. If you, have, if you don't worry about where your meal comes from and if you don't worry about the roof over your head, you are extremely rich. And we need to start thinking about that mindset. Um, but it says here God provides everything even for our enjoyment. Maybe you're rich enough where you can't afford a jet ski. Is that bad? Well, if you're generous and you share and you, and you take care of what you need to do, it's not a sin to have a jet ski or a snowmobile. It's where your heart is. And so if it's okay to have wealth and God provides things for our enjoyment, but we are not supposed to desire riches or love, and we're not supposed to love money, how are we to live? So, but... The, the, the answer to that is we need to take the focus off of our money and the endless pursuit of more and put it where it belongs, on God the Father. You take our focus off of money and put it on God. If you're, if you're really wealthy, if you're moderately wealthy, if you're getting by, our focus needs to not be on our possessions but on Jesus, okay? Um, and we need to give ourselves Jesus. We need to let him be the prize, so the last point is this. Contentment 
is the goal. Contentment is the goal. So in this middle part of the passage, I'm kind of doing the passage out of order, but in the middle part of this passage, in verses 6 through 8, it says this. But godliness with contentment is great gain. Meaning godliness with just satisfaction what you have is extreme riches, is great gain. For we brought nothing into this world, and we could take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. Contentment is the ultimate goal. What is contentment? Contentment means a state of complete satisfaction. That you're satisfied. That you can honestly look at your life, look at the spiritual side of your life, look at the material side of your life, and be satisfied and give thanks to God for what you have. This anguish in your heart for more, 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 more is taken care of. That's, that used to be you. It's not you anymore. And you're just satisfied with what God has given you. And, and, and that's what contentment is. It's satisfaction. It's the complete opposite of more, more, more. And all, why they say this, and this is one of the most quoted scriptures in the Bible, is people say money is the root of all evil. Okay? What, what does it actually say? The love of money is the root of all evil. And what they're really talking about is that greed, greed is not necessarily just money, but greed is a desire for more, more, more. Greed is the root of all types of evil. And contentment is the opposite of that. God gave us a home, whether it's an apartment, whether it's a mobile home, whether it's a house. And instead of thanking God, we scroll social media, see what other people have, and then we are not happy with what we have and what God has provided for us. And we're certainly not grateful. We're not even saying thank you to God. We're saying, why, God? Why don't I have this? And so it switched. God gave us an income. For those of us at work, God gave us an income, and it's not enough. We want more and more and more. We fall into greed. God gives us closets overflowing of clothes. I can attest to myself. We take garbage bags to the Goodwill every year. I don't even know where they come from because I don't buy that many clothes. I just have a—we have so many clothes. And we say, I want something that's more stylish. I want something that's more brand. And then we're just not happy. Like, God, look at all these clothes. This is the people back then were so grateful about. Contentment, um, it goes much further than that. Uh, the root of all sins flow out of a lack of contentment. God's given me a spouse for those of us that are married. God's given me a spouse. I'll be satisfied in God's provision. And when they say, I want more, more, more than, this, than the person that God has given you is not enough. Then you fall into lust and you fall into adultery because the provision that God has given you is just not enough. It could be anything. And it's saying, I have, like, what God has blessed me with, I am grateful. And contentment says, I have food on the table, I have clothes on my back, I have a roof over my head, I am rich. And the word says that you are greatly enriched if you have those things. Contentment says, I'm not going into debt to get my wants. I'm going to be satisfied with what God has given me and his provision. I'm going to be thankful. So the first contentment is really contentment with your possessions. 
with what you have, like the things that you have. You're content with that. And he's saying be content with that because you could build up all the possessions you want, but what does Paul say? You came into this world with absolutely nothing, and you will leave this world with absolutely nothing, right? Like we might have different socioeconomic classes here on earth, but when we die, we all go to the grave with the same amount, zero. Just reality. But I mean, Paul says it's in the Bible. Nobody's ever seen a hearse pulling a U-Haul trailer with all their belongings. That stuff goes to other people. All the collections that you have and that your prized possessions, they get dispersed. They're no longer yours when you die. And so first is finding contentment in your possessions. And lastly, and really most importantly, is finding contentment with Christ. But all of us here need to search diligently and ask God to help us have contentment in Christ. He starts in verse 6. He says, Godliness with contentment is great riches. What he says is godliness is pursuing the gospel, pursuing God, pursuing Jesus Christ with contentment is the most riches that you could ever want or need. And so all of our sin that we do here on earth is an outflow of not being satisfied with Christ's provision. That makes sense? Every, every sin that we do, and we all are going to sin every day, sin is an outflow of not being satisfied and not being content in Christ. Some of us go to alcohol to heal our wounds when Jesus Christ offers healing of our wounds. Jesus Christ offers peace. He offers all of these things. And we go to other places like drugs and alcohol. That's meaning that we're not satisfied and content with what Jesus has offered. Or we, we haven't asked. So your contentment ultimately has to be rooted in a heart satisfied with God. Ultimately, Christ is enough, and Christ can meet your every need. What it means is, in my, my life is satisfied in the gospel. I am rich already. I have everything I need. Amen? Christ in heaven is all we need. Like, that is the key to contentment. Whether I never, my net worth never grows by another dollar, or it shrinks, or I become rich, or I become poor, I become the same, our heart is rooted in Christ, who's unchanging, right? Because if our heart is rooted in our net worth, guess what? A lot of our net worth is wrapped up in real estate and the stock market, and that could all go to zero tomorrow. <laughs> it has once before. We could literally, all of our wealth could be wiped out in a second. And what do we have? Nothing. But if we are rooted in Christ, and that's where we find our contentment and joy, nobody could steal that joy. Nobody could take away that. No stock market or war could ever eliminate that. And so the second is contentment in Christ. The worship team could come forward and get set up. I just have a couple more things to say. So everything you need is found in God. The challenge is to get your eyes off of this world and fix them on Jesus. That's the challenge for all of us today, is if our, if our eyes are fixed on this world, we need to stop it and fix it on Jesus. We need to practice being with him. If you are not spending time with Jesus every day, you know, we have the Lent devotionals is a great way to start. You could pray, you know, for, like, like we said, 10 minutes, 20 minutes every morning and start our day practicing 
just being in the presence of God, talking to him, enjoying his word, listening to the word. And then and only then, you will experience true satisfaction. Like as I said, no matter what circumstance you're at in this world, no matter where you're at. So as the worship team is going to come and lead us in this closing song, um, if you feel like coming up to the altar and praying and, and you have something to pray about, feel free to come up here and pray. You know, the, the altar is a practice of coming forward, again, in the church family setting. It's not about seeing, like, who's coming or who's not. It's a matter of you could do business with God up here at the altar. You could worship up here at the altar. You could do business with God in your seat by sitting down. Um, but we want to encourage you to do business with God. If you want somebody to pray with you, um, Jeff and Loretta McCabe uh, will be over here. So if you want a man to pray with you, if you want a woman to pray with you, they'll be over here. Um, if you need prayer, and I'll be over there as well. So if you want somebody to pray with you, feel free to come over here. If you want to pray at the altar, pray at the altar. But um, do business with God today. This materialism thing is huge in our culture. And we're always going to be striving for more and more and more. And what we want to be is a people not pursuing more and more and more, but people who pursue the heart of God where true contentment flows out of. Let's pray. God, we love you so much. And you are everything. You are boundless riches. And you filled us with the Holy Spirit, which has given us everything we need. Help us be responsible, yes, Help us be careful, yes, but help us not love money. Help us not pursue riches without restraint. God, we love you and we worship you. In Jesus' name, amen.